Um, and these last couple months, I can't believe in all honesty that he's two months old and that we've been in the NICU for two months in the hospital a month before that. Uh, but God is good and it's taken faith. Can I tell you that my faith has been tested these last several months? Uh, that there's times that I'll say uh, that my faith has failed, that I haven't had the faith that I need to. But tonight we're going to look at uh, an interesting story, uh, another, a man and a woman actually of God whose faith was tested. And tonight I want to bring you a message that's entitled Faith Tested. Faith Tested, because your faith will be tested. You'll be faced with situations and things that God will ask you to do that will test your faith. Can I, if life isn't easy... If anybody told you that when you got saved, life was going to be a bed of roses, they lied to you, I'm sorry. Uh, but when our faith is tested, how do we react? The story we're going to look at is Abraham and Sarah tonight, and, and I don't think that it's any mistake that if you read through Hebrews chapter 11, the person who is talked about the most as far as their faith is Abraham. He has the most verses in Hebrews chapter 11 dedicated to him. Uh, and so we're going to look at the story of Abraham and Sarah tonight, a man and a woman that had faith, but what I appreciate about them is that they weren't perfect people. And you'll see that sometimes their faith was tested and they failed, and they didn't trust, but yet still they made it in the hall of faith because they did have faith. So we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 8 is where we are tonight. Follow along as I read. The Bible says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should, after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And that's the key word right there, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive, sorry, conceived seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the sea shore is innumerable. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, <coughs> I thank you for this day. I thank you for those that are here this evening. I pray that you would be with Pastor. I pray that you'd help him to be able to rest well tonight, and that you'd help him to continue to strengthen uh, and heal from this surgery, and that he would find out soon uh, when his next surgery will be. Uh, and I just pray that you would just strengthen and encourage him uh, and his family. And we thank you for them, and uh, let them know that we love them, and wrap your arms around them, and we uh, just thank you and praise you for everything you're going to do, and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I struggled tonight with the message, whether to name it Faith Tested uh, or Faith Obeyed. Faith Obeys. Because really, if you are a faith, a person of faith, you are going to be a, an obedient Christian. If you are a person that trusts God, when God tells you to do something, you're going to do it. Uh, look at who we looked at Sunday night. We looked at the story of Noah. Was Noah a man of faith? Yes. You read Genesis chapter number 6, and God told Noah to build an ark, and he didn't go, but God, <laughs> an ark? Here, there's not a water big enough for the ark. How many of you have been to the ark encounter up in uh, Kentucky, Ohio before? It is a massive boat. 
I have never seen a boat so big. I've never seen a cruise ship, okay? I've never been on a cruise, never seen a cruise ship. So that is the biggest boat I have ever seen in my life up close. And when you're walking underneath of it, if you've ever been, you enter underneath the boat. I was just praying that those pylons didn't give way because I knew I was going to be crushed and never be seen again by Noah's Ark. Uh, and so it, the, math, the boat is huge and massive. And so picture yourself being Noah and having the faith to be able to build that. But when God commanded Noah, you don't see where Noah questioned. You don't see where Noah said, but God, I need you to explain some more for me. Noah obeyed. God told him, and Noah did it. And so we see that faith obeys. And tonight in the story, we see that, number one, faith obeys. Look at the story of Abraham, verse number eight. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. You know, he didn't listen to the desires of his heart. And we're going to see this later on, that life for Abraham wasn't always easy. Uh, The life that God called him to wasn't the easiest of lives. It wasn't the easy way out. Uh, Matter of fact, there were some very difficult times. There were times where he had family that went the opposite direction. There were times where uh, he he was traveling around instead of having a set place. Uh, But he didn't listen to the own desires of his heart or what he wanted. And so many times as a Christian, I find myself going, but God, this isn't what I want. This is going to make me uncomfortable. It's going to push me out of my comfort zone. Uh, It's not what my heart desires. Uh, What does Jeremiah say? The book of Jeremiah chapter 17, verse number 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And it's a rhetorical question. Can any of us know our own heart, even our own heart? I definitely can't know your heart. I was talking to Brother Brown. Uh, He said, how many people made a profession of faith today in the jail, Brother Brown? Three people made a profession of faith, and he made the statement, uh, I say that because I don't know if they're saved, but they made a profession of faith. And really, none of us can know someone's heart. Someone can make a profession of faith. They can say they're saved, and, and that's between them and their Savior. That's between them and God. I can't judge that. I can look at people's works and go, you know what? They probably really aren't. You've probably seen that in the jail before. Uh, I've seen that in people's lives where they make a change. Uh, Teenagers uh, were notorious for this. A teenager would do something wrong, uh, and then three days later, they got saved. And then, so they got saved so that everyone forgot the wrong that they had done to try to make everybody forget about that. Uh, But then three weeks later, they were doing the same exact thing they were right before they got saved, Uh, One boy in particular, bless his heart. Is that what you say in the South so that you can talk about him afterwards? (laughs) Uh, He he tried me. He did. There were many times I'd walk in and go, oh, he's here at youth group tonight. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Thank you, God, for giving me teenagers to minister to. Uh, uh, But he would. Uh, And he got saved many times. Uh, I'm excited now. Uh, He posted on Facebook. He is a a second semester freshman at West Coast Baptist College now. But if you had told me four years ago that he was going to be at West Coast Baptist College studying for ministry, I would have told you you were crazy. Because uh, he would tell you. Uh, he posted on Facebook about it this week. Is your conversion real? Uh, is it not? And so, you know, so many times we get that and we don't have real faith. We listen to our heart. But the heart's deceitful. You can't even trust your own heart. Not only can I not know somebody else's heart, but I can't even know my own heart because it is so deceitful and desperately wicked. God is the only one who can know our hearts. And so what does that tell you? Uh, The Disney logic that kids have grown up with for the last 20, 30 years, all you've got to do is listen to your heart. Follow your dreams. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. Just listen to your heart. That is the worst advice anybody could give, okay? Don't listen to your heart. It's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. 
That's what we should be teaching kids. Uh, but we've got this mentality of, uh, you know, listen to your heart. Just follow your dreams and everything will be okay. Well, you know, there's sometimes that my dreams haven't always been a reality. My dreams and my desires have not been God's desires or God's plans for my life. Uh, have you ever been there before? Just me. Well, you know, I want to. What would I have loved to do when I was a kid? I would love to be playing my violin in a symphony orchestra. Uh, I mean, that would just be a dream thing for me to be able to play music and to get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars. That wasn't God's plan for my life, okay? It wasn't what he desired for me. Uh, but when I was a kid, that's what I would have told you. Uh, I also thought I wanted to be a doctor until I saw how many years you had to go to college. In my senior year of high school, I decided, you know what, maybe that isn't for me. I like medical stuff, but I don't want to go to school for the next 10 years. Uh, the people I graduated from high school with that went into the medical field are just now getting out of school uh, after 10 years. I've been out of high school, yeah, over 10 years. Uh, and so that scared me. I said, you know what, I don't think that's God's will for my life. Uh, but we listen to our heart, and that's what gets us in trouble. What does the Bible say? We need to trust in the Lord with all our heart. Not trust in ourselves, not trust in our own desires, but put our whole heart, give it all to God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't hold any part back and lean not unto thine own understanding. And that goes back to that idea of faith, which we talked about Sunday night, so I won't dwell there. But we can't know our heart. We don't need to listen to the desires of our heart. Obedience should be the response of our faith in Christ. If we have faith in Christ and we trust him with our life, if we say, you know, if we trust God with our eternal destiny, which we have, if you're here and you're saved today, you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that after you die, you're going to go to heaven. You haven't put it in some other God. You have chosen, uh, I'm assuming that everyone in here has chosen to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So if you can trust him with your eternal destiny, why can't you trust him with your earthly destiny? and what he has for your life. And I stopped and thought about that this week, and I thought, you know what? If I can trust God with my eternal destiny, why do I struggle so much sometimes to trust him with my earthly destiny? Why do I struggle so much to trust him with the plans that he has for my life here on this earth? So if we have faith in Christ, obedience should be the natural outpouring of that faith that we have. You know, if we don't obey when God tells us to do something, we're showing that we don't have faith. If God tells you to do something, have you ever been there? Uh, maybe it's to hand somebody a track. Maybe it's to share a gospel with a family member. Maybe it's to uh, give a little extra in an offering. Maybe it's to uh, do something extra for someone, write somebody to volunteer for a ministry, to do something, to step out in faith. And when we don't do that, we're telling God, you know, I don't have enough faith to do that, that you can strengthen me to do it. Uh, I'll tell you, it terrifies me to go on door-to-door -door visitation and knock on somebody's door that you don't know and to wonder what they're going to say to you. To wonder if they're going to slam the door in your face and be mean. I don't like when people are mean to me. It hurts my feelings. <laughs> I, and I don't think you do either. Uh, but, you know, what does God command us to do? He commands us to share his word with the entire world. And so I know that if God calls me to do it, that he will strengthen me and give me the strength to do it. And I have faith and trust in him. But, but our problem is we don't have faith enough to obey. So we know, number one, that faith obeys, but not only that, number two, faith sets us apart. It should make us a peculiar people. People should be able to look at you and say, maybe they say, you're a little bit crazy. They do all this stuff. Uh, have you ever had someone look at you and go, you give money to the church before you do anything else with it? You give tithes and offerings? How do you afford? I couldn't afford to do that. You're a little bit crazy if you do that. Uh, have you ever 
had somebody go, you get off work on Wednesday and you go to church afterwards. You're a little bit crazy. I can't do anything after work. I've got to go home and go to bed. Uh, you're a little, but you know, if we have faith, it should set us apart and make us different. Did it set Abraham apart? It did. So we just read that first part of verse number eight. He was called to go out into a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance. He obeyed and he went out. And this is key, not knowing whither he went. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't, he didn't have all the answers. He didn't have a 10-step plan that God had given him. First, you're going to travel here and set up your tent, and then you're going to travel over here with your tent. He went out, he obeyed, not knowing whether he was going. Have you ever been there before? I tell you, when we went on our honeymoon, we went to the only place that you can honeymoon, uh, Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. Actually, Sevierville, Tennessee uh, is where our cabin was. That was the greatest place in the world. I had never been before, so it was my first time. Uh, being in Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, Sevierville, and it was exciting. We were excited to go, uh, and we left. Our wedding was at, uh, you know, I would be in trouble if it was my anniversary. Our wedding was in the early afternoon, 1 o'clock, I think. And the reason why I struggled with that so much is because half the people showed up for our wedding late because somebody had posted a Facebook event and said that our wedding was at 2, uh, and so several people only made it for the reception. <laughs> we had people showing up going, you're still taking pictures, that's good. Went, no, we're taking pictures because we're done. <laughs> we're married. It's over. You missed it, but go get some good food. Uh, and, and so here we are. We're married. Uh, we got married. Wedding finished about 1.30. We finished pictures and with all the food about 4 o'clock. And we are driving from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, uh, to Sevierville, Tennessee, which is about a five-hour drive, good five-hour drive. So by the time we changed out of wedding dresses and tuxes and made sure we had everything to family that we needed to, we got on the road. Our first meal together was McDonald's, great first meal. Our first picture of our wedding rings we took together, if you ever see it pop up on Facebook, is over top of a McDonald's table. Uh, it was great, so romantic. We had no money because I had spent it all on the cabin. We were opening cards on the way, seeing if we had money to do anything while we were on our honeymoon. Uh, and praise the Lord, we did. We got to eat while we were there. But uh, here we are, we're on the way, it got dark. And if you've ever driven through the mountains of Sevierville, uh, in the dark, and I had this cool little AT&T phone uh, that did not get signal there. And so here we are driving in the dark. I had no idea where I was going. We had little directions that they had given us. I still have a copy of the directions at my house because they were useless. I tried uh, about two years ago when we first moved here, I tried to follow those directions again to get to the cabin, and I still could not get to the cabin in the daylight when I know my way around there better. Uh, but it was off Weirs Valley Road, if you know where that is. He drove way down Weirs Valley, took a right, went to the middle of nowhere, took a left, went more into the middle of nowhere, took a right. Uh, and so my GPS was working, and it said, you've arrived. And it was in the middle of nowhere. I didn't know where I was. There was no cabin there. There was a cliff on our right and a cliff on our left. One went up, one went down, and it said, you've arrived. And I went, this is great. And Kelly, you know, it's the wedding night. We're tired, exhausted, because the day's been long, and she just looks at me. And I went, it's going to be okay. <laughs> we're going to have our first fight on our wedding night because <laughs> I can't find, and we didn't. We drove around for two hours until 1 a.m. when we finally found our cabin, and sure enough, the next morning when we woke up, we looked down over top of the cliff that our cabin was on, and there was the road that we had stopped on, so we were right there at our cabin. If we had just scaled the cliff, we would have been there, no problem, <laughs> but Kelly didn't bring her climbing gear with her for some reason on the honeymoon. 
But can I tell you, when we were driving there in the middle of nowhere, and I didn't know where I was going, and the roads were dark, and it was windy, curvy roads, it was not a fun experience. Uh, And I understand I've been there in life, too, sometimes, where God has you on a path, and you can't see 10 feet in front of you, and you don't understand what's happening, why things are happening, why things are changing in your life, and it's not a fun experience. But Abraham, when he was faced with that, he says, hey, I want you to up and go. Well, where, God? I'll tell you, just trust me. And what did Abraham do? He had faith, and he went not knowing where he was going. Verse number 9 says, by faith he sojourned, and that's the key, by faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Uh, A couple things that I find interesting in this verse He sojourned into a land of promise. It was the promised land that was promised to him as in a strange country. Uh, I picture him like a missionary. Uh, I have a lot of respect for missionaries who will go and take their families, uh, especially missionaries that have children, and go move to a foreign country where they don't speak the language, uh, where everything's different and the culture is different. If you've ever been able to travel outside of the United States, I love traveling to foreign countries, uh, but I go in with the mindset, hey, When I went to Brazil, I said, in the three months, I get to go home. I'm going home to the United States where I still have a house, where I still have things. Uh, A missionary is going, and that is becoming their homes. That culture that I get to experience, that I got to experience for three months, was their their new normal. Uh, And I had the interesting perspective to be able to see when I was in Brazil. A missionary came down and was starting their work two weeks after I got in Brazil. They were working with the missionaries that I was with that were veteran missionaries. And it was interesting to me to watch them. They had two children that were young, I want to say three and one years old, the Schrock family, uh, Omar and Tracy down in Cuiabá, Brazil. And it was neat to see them come down and to see, did they struggle? Was it different for them? Yeah, well, we both got down there at the same time, but their perspective was very different. They were down there for very different reasons. They were there to learn the language, to stay, to be able to plant churches. So here's Abraham. God's called him. He's traveling into a land. It's not a land of his home now. He's in a land where he is a foreigner, where it's different. And he's not living in a house. I hate camping. I do. I'm sorry if you like to camp. And I'm not talking like Denver camps and a camper. That's not camping. He glamps. Glamour camping there. But uh, I can do that kind of camping. That's okay. Cabin, uh, a camper with air conditioning and a refrigerator uh, all day long, I can do that. But staying in a tent on the ground uh, with no electricity, no fan, no air conditioning, that's not my idea of fun. And it's expensive to buy all the camping equipment, so why wouldn't I just rent a hotel room, okay? Uh, But so here he is. So Abraham, that was the second thing that stuck out to me. He is in a place uh, where he is not uh, at home. It is not his normal place. And he's staying in a tent. And did, or in a tabernacle, it says, did he, they have houses? Well, what happened when Lot went off into Sodom and Gomorrah? The people knocked on the door of his house. So if he was in a city, he could have been in a nice city with houses and doors, and, uh, but God's called him to set up this tent. Um, and we see what happened to Lot. What happened to Lot? Lot chose the wrong way. He pitched his tent towards Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, towards sin, towards wickedness, and he ended up being in there until he ended up giving up his own daughters to strange men. Uh, And he went down that path. But here Abraham has said, I have faith that God knows what he's doing, that even though this isn't the most comfortable way to live, uh, even though it's not the safest, even though it's not the the most elaborate, that this is what God has for me. 
He was set apart. It required him to be away. He was a stranger and, and traveled around and pitched his tent in different places. But you know what Abraham had? He wasn't focused on the now. He wasn't focused on his earthly possessions or what he was missing out on because he wasn't in a big city. And can I tell you, with our missionaries that are there on the field, they're not focusing. Uh, if they do, they'll go crazy, okay? They're not focusing on what they've left behind. They're focusing on what God has called them to do and why they're there on the mission field. And even though, yes, there are days I'm sure it's hard to have left their home and left their family and the comforts of the United States that they're used to, uh, can I tell you that they know that they are going there to do God's work? And that's, they have faith that God's going to be with them. Uh, you, you know, the Klaus family, they were here not that long ago, our missionaries to Germany. Uh, if you've been following along with their prayer letters, we read one a couple weeks ago in church. They've been stuck in the United States because of COVID. Uh, praise the Lord. They just posted on Facebook this week that they are able to go home uh, to Germany. Uh, and They don't have a date yet, but they've gotten approved to go back. And so they will be heading back to the mission field. But if we focus on just our earthly possessions and what we have, we'll get in trouble and we need to focus on heavenly things. And that's what Abraham did. He was focusing on heavenly things, the things that God had called him to do. And if that meant he didn't have the biggest house, if that meant he didn't have the most riches, if that meant he didn't get to live in a place with doors and windows, it was okay because God had called him to be there. And Christians, can I say we get in trouble when we get focused on the earthly things, uh, on the possessions that we have more than we do what God has called us to do. Uh, we had some friends uh, that were going to be missionaries after college, uh, and they had a mindset that they didn't want to buy anything after they got married. They didn't want furniture. They didn't want a TV. They didn't want things for their wedding because they wanted to go to the mission field, and that's what God had called them to do. And they were so worried that they would get distracted by the earthly things that were given to them, things that aren't wrong. Okay, it's not wrong to have a couch. I love my couch. I love sitting on my couch. I can fall asleep in it in five seconds. Uh, but uh, they were worried that those things would keep them back and that they would let it distract them from what God had called them to do. And, and it, I respected that decision for them because they wanted to make sure that nothing came between them and what God had called them for. But can I tell you, be careful as Christians because we live in the United States and we are a blessed country. I'm thankful to live in the United States of America. I'm thankful for the freedoms we have, for the blessings we have. I'm thankful for Bible Baptist Church and how God has blessed us with wonderful people, uh, giving people, faithful people. Uh, but can I tell you, don't get comfortable and get slack from what God has called us to do uh, because we are comfortable with the things that God has blessed us with. So we see, number one, that faith obeys. Number two, that faith sets apart. But number three, faith also overcomes obstacles in our life. I'm sorry, I couldn't think of three O's. I sat there all afternoon trying to get that second one to be an O. So if that bothers you, and it's more than one word. So if you're English in here, yes, it's not a parallel. Uh, it's not alliterated, uh, but it is what it is. <laughs> faith overcomes. What does faith overcome? What did faith overcome for Abraham? Well, let's keep on reading verse number 10, and we're almost finished. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, who builders and whose builder and maker is God. He wasn't looking at the earthly things. He was looking at the heavenly things. Through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. And I tell you, Sarah overcame some huge obstacles to have a child at her age. Can you imagine 
Uh, I've seen friends that have struggled with infertility and who haven't been able to have children, and I'm thankful for modern technology uh, and what they can do to help them, but I still don't see any 90-year-old women, number one, who want to (laughs) walk around pregnant for nine months and have a newborn in their house, uh, or number two, who could physically do it. So I I understand where Sarah and, and Abraham are coming from. God, how can this thing be? I am not I am old. I am old. How can I how can I conceive? And so did they have the full faith that they needed? No, if we had time we could go back uh, to Genesis chapter number 16. <coughs> Excuse me, Genesis chapter number 16 and see uh, where Abraham went in and slept with uh, his handmaiden and I can't remember her name off the top of my head. I wrote it down somewhere. Hagar. And had a child. Who did that child become? Ishmael. Because they didn't wait, because they didn't have faith that God would. Did God promise Sarah a child? He promised Sarah a child. But you know when you're kind of waiting for God, and we can judge them for that and judge them for doing it and judge them for not having faith, but that would be tough to believe that you were going to be able to have a child. You're getting older and older, and you're waiting for God to give you a child, and he hasn't given you a child, and you're going, God, what's going on? I need to, God wants me to step out and to take things into my own hands, so I, he needs me. God needs me to help him out. But does God need us? He uses us, and I'm thankful that he uses us. Uh, but God has it all under control, can I promise you? We just need to put, be, have our faith put in him. Faith overcome an impossible obstacle for Abraham and Sarah, because as he promised, if you look at, uh, let's turn to Genesis 21 quick. I want you to see this verse. I can't quote it off the top of my head, uh, but I thought it was a great verse, and it hadn't stuck out to me before I was studying for this message. So in between 16 and 21, when Sarah has had Ishmael, or when Hagar had Ishmael, uh, the illegitimate son, uh, we see what's happened in between there is Lot has gone off to Sodom and Gomorrah. And we come to chapter 21. The Bible says, and Sarah was 107 and 20 years old. I can say this because I don't think anybody is 127 here. That's old, okay? (laughs) I won't offend any ladies in here. That's old. 127. These were the years of life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kirshabah, the same in Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And that's not the one that I wanted to read. I wrote down the wrong chapter. I'll give you the gist of it. Verse chapter 21. Was I in the wrong chapter? You were in 21 reading what I wanted to read, and I wasn't reading that. Okay, chapter 21, verse number 1, the Bible says, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, who Sarah bare to him, Isaac. So here Isaac is born. And that first verse stuck out to me, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. Sarah had failed. Yet God still visited. Sarah had uh, not had faith, full faith, but God still visited. Sarah trusted still and believed that Isaac would be born, and Isaac was born. Uh, And it's just amazing to me, the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. God kept his end of the promise. And can I promise you that God will keep his end of the promise for you? He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll be with you always. If he calls you to do it, he's going to strengthen you to do it. Uh, I can do all things 
through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And if he calls you to do it, he will strengthen you to do it. So faith will overcome. Turn back with me to Hebrews chapter number 11, and we'll be finished with these last verses. Is that where the testing, faith tested, is that where the testing stopped for Abraham? Here's this child they prayed for. They love dearly. They know it's the promised child. What does God promise? God promises that he'll make many nations from Abraham. We're going to skip a couple of verses. We'll go back to those verses, don't worry, in a future message. But I want to skip for now because we're talking about Abraham and Sarah. Verse number 13 they're all di- these all died in faith, not having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have opportunity to have returned. And skip down with me to verse number 20 now. The Bible says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. And so Abraham, we see, and we skipped a couple verses, and I'm coming back to them. I skipped them on purpose. We see Isaac and Jacob, were they blessed? Yes, Isaac was blessed. Isaac was a blessed individual, but before he became that blessed individual and become a man of faith himself, his father was tested. How was his father tested? His father was tested by having to take his son that his wife had prayed for, and sacrifice him. That's what God had called him to do. Can you imagine God calling you and saying, Hey, Randy, that child that you prayed for, that your wife is, that so loves, and God answered her prayers, I want you to take him and I want you to sacrifice him on an altar. I just can't imagine. I can't imagine God calling me to take Landon and to sacrifice him. But that's exactly what God did. Verse number 17 says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Abraham had faith that no matter how ridiculous it sounded in a human's, person's, in a human's eyes, no matter how ridiculous it sounded to take your son and to sacrifice him on an altar, that Abraham knew that God had a perfect plan and he obeyed. And the end of this verse reminds me of another verse. I don't know if it reminds you of this verse. His only begotten son reminds me of John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. I'm thankful that God loved me so much that he sent his only begotten son. Would I have enough faith to give my child to God if he called me to sacrifice him? I've seen parent after parent that has said, uh, you know what? We want our child to be successful. We don't want them to go into full-time Christian service. We don't want them to serve God because then they won't be successful. That's a scary place to be when we're holding our children back. And so I've told uh, my prayer for Landon uh, and now for Grayson is, God, whatever you have for my child, whether it's to be a doctor and to be able to, uh, you know, let me move into his mansion, into one of the 16 bedrooms he's going to have, that'd be great, okay? Uh, Would it be great to have him live close to home? Maybe. 
I don't know, I found a couple states in between parents and kids does good, okay? Uh, Would it be great to have him close to home? Yes, it would be great to have him close to home. But my prayer for Landon isn't that he'll live close to home and stay in Kingsport, Tennessee. It it isn't that he'll become this rich person, although that would be awesome that if I could go live with him, okay? But my prayer is that whatever God would have for him, that is what he would do. And if that means that he is across the world in a foreign country and we only get to see him once every four years, Would that be difficult for me? That would be difficult for me. It'd be really difficult for Kelly, okay? Uh, It it would be. But that is our prayer for our son is that, God, we give our son to you. Whatever you have for him, oh, that's what we want him to do. That was my parents' prayer for me, that whatever God had for me, that's what we would do. For for all of us, my brother, my sister, and myself. And, and, you know, that didn't mean that they were going to push us. We want you to be in full-time Christian service. Uh, I am the only one of my siblings that's in full-time Christian service. But can I tell you that I have a brother uh, who works for the state of Virginia uh, who is faithful to his church, that sings, that's part involved, and he is there serving all the time. I have a sister uh, who is an operating room nurse. She's not in full-time Christian service, uh, but she, this coming Friday, is marrying a preacher. Uh, and she has been faithful to church and serving God. Uh, and so my parents' prayer for us wasn't, hey, I want you to be in full-time Christian service 100% because I am, because uh, I've seen parents do that to their kids too. But it was whatever God has for you, whether it's an operating room nurse or whether it's an assistant pastor in Kingsport, Tennessee, that's what we want you to do. Because my parents realized something, that the best place to be and the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. No matter how much faith it takes to send your child off, I'm reminded of when my parents dropped me off, and with this we'll close, uh, at Ambassador Baptist College. If you've ever been, have any of you ever been to Ambassador Baptist College? A couple, okay. It is in the middle of nowhere. Lattimore, North Carolina, there is a sheep farm um, and ambassador. The mayor of the town is the president of the college, uh, Alton Beal. He is there. You can see him. There is a restaurant also, the depot. Uh, that's there, and you'll oftentimes find uh, Dr. Alton Beal and Bib Overalls at the depot talking to the local people that are there, the people from the town that are eating breakfast uh, at the depot. Uh, but it's, it is the middle of nowhere. And so my parents, that's where I decided I was going to college, and my parents went, uh, and they dropped me off. And when I went to college, I didn't have a cell phone. Uh, I didn't have a car. And, and Ambassador's in the middle of nowhere. I think it's eight miles to Shelby, North Carolina, to the nearest Walmart. Uh, and so it probably took 15 minutes to drive there by the time you got on 74. Uh, I mean, it was out in the sticks, okay? Middle of nowhere uh, with no car. It's not like I could walk across the street to the drugstore if I needed to buy some toiletries. or There's nothing. And so I'll never forget uh, my parents dropping me off, and my dad was always this big person. Uh, He's like, when you turn 18, you're getting out of the house, praise God. You're not staying in here past 18. My sister's still living there, and she's out of college, and so... he was all talk and no game. Don't tell him as if you're listening, Dad, I'm sorry. Uh, but here he is. So we're dropping me off at college. And you know, if you've ever dropped a child off at college, it is an emotional time. I was the first, I'm the firstborn. And so everything was new to them. Here they are. We had been to Ambassador and toured before, but it was a little bit different because I was actually going to school there. And so they took me into town and we ate at Denny's for breakfast. And then our last meal was at Uh, It was either Taco Bell or Burger King in Boiling Springs, North Carolina, uh, and I could never eat there again. It was like scarred in my brain. That was a terrible day for me, so I never had eaten at that restaurant ever again, that particular one. Uh, And so there we are. They're dropping me off, and all of a sudden it hits my dad and mom 
that they are leaving their child. The dorm was empty. I had to be there early because I was working in the kitchen at Ambassador. Uh, so nobody was in the dorm. I was all by myself. They were leaving me. They were eight hours away in Northern Virginia. Uh, I had no cell phone. I had no car. I was just there. It was a Saturday night. Uh, and so my dad said, so what are you doing for church tomorrow? I went, don't really know. There's no church close by. So I guess I'll try to thumb a ride with somebody who looks like they're going to church tomorrow. I don't, I'm not 100% sure. But I looked at my dad in the eyes, and I could see the hurt in his eyes and the worry and the concern that it took to leave his child in the middle of nowhere uh, and to leave them wondering what was going to happen. And I remember, I don't know if it was an afterthought or if he planned this ahead of time, but he had a calling card. You remember calling cards? He had a calling card. He goes, here you go, Daniel. You use this. And I, my dad doesn't cry. He's not an emotional person. But I remember him crying, and that hurt me to the core because I go, great. You're not supposed to get emotional. You're supposed to be the strong one. Mom cries. You're okay. You're like, it's going to be okay, honey. Let's go. Uh, but it took faith for them to say, listen, we're going to go ahead and drive eight hours back to Virginia because I've seen parents go, especially at Ambassador, okay, it's in the middle of nowhere. It's a great college I'm thankful for. That's where God had called me to go. But I had seen parents who couldn't leave their children and would end up coming back and rescuing them and taking them away. Uh, and my dad said, you know what, this is where God has called him to be. This is the best place for him to be. Even if he has no phone, no car, and he's got to try to thumb a ride in the morning to church, can I tell you, I was okay. I found a ride to church. It wasn't a serial killer. Uh, and God blessed throughout the time there. And I'm thankful that I was there. Uh, but now as a parent, I understand how hard that would be to leave my child. But can I tell you that we need to have faith, no matter what God asks of us, faith to obey. If we have true faith, it will be one that obeys. It'll be one that sets us apart. And it'll be one that overcomes any obstacle that comes in your life. We need to have faith. Uh, it's very timely message series for myself, and I know for many of you in this church, faith, I think, is always timely. Uh, it's always something that we're going to have to work on and struggle with, and difficult times will come up. But can I encourage you tonight to have a faith that when it's tested, stays strong. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I pray that you would just help us to have a faith that overcomes uh, whatever you bring into our life, no matter what you ask of us, that we would obey and serve you with our entire life. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for their faithfulness. Uh, and I would pray that you be with Pastor, continue to be with Maxine as she heals. And Lord, just continue to, to use us here in Kingsport, Tennessee. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Mark Gardner is going to come up and do prayer requests.